Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. We have an awesome show previewing the Falcons-Saints-Hate Week matchup in week one. Joining me to do that later on in the show will be Believe in Saints host Terrence Copper, a nine-year veteran in the NFL who spent a couple of seasons there in New Orleans. So he's going to join me to kind of break down this matchup from the Saints perspective, but we also get into some of his stories over the years playing in this game, kind of what makes it different uh, than other NFL rivalries, some of the great ones around the league. And, you know, I was really interested to see what he kind of had to say. I was a little surprised by what he had to say uh, and his answer there. But I definitely think the Falcons uh, Saints rivalry is the pettiest one in the NFL. And and I think that uh, Catherine Terrell did a great job kind of breaking that down the ESPN reporter uh, for the Saints on From the Perch, which is Mike Rothstein's uh, podcast. And she definitely kind of is highlighted just how petty it is. And I think that, yes, there are some rivalries in this league that maybe have more history, that maybe feel like a little more important to the legacy of the NFL, or, or maybe the teams just hate each other a bit more. That's fine. None are as petty as the Falcons and Saints. This hatred runs deeper than just the surface. It is full of trolling. It is full of you know, just loving to see the other team hurt. Shod and fraud, baby. It is great to see the Saints lose, and they feel the same way about the Falcons. And in that sense, it's really, really one of a kind. Um, so we kind of dug into all of that as well as this week's matchup. Um, before I kind of touch on some of the news and notes from the week leading up into the game, as well as my top five moments, uh, from the Falcons perspective, that's a good caveat to add here. My top five moments from a Falcons perspective against the Saints, that will be uh, at the end of the cold open right before Terrence joins me. And we will get to all of that right after this. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, combat sports like MMA and boxing, esports like video games, obviously, and even golf. Want to live tour, PGA, probably both. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. A little bit of news and notes for you here from the week that was into the lead up of this season opener. Of course, I think the biggest news probably throughout the week people were tracking has been Drake London's status. Ever since he got dinged up in that opening preseason game, the Falcons wisely, I think, shut him down. Now, 
that doesn't mean they literally, literally shut him down. I'm sure he was doing a lot of rehab. He was keeping up with the team. He was in all the meetings, everything like that, doing everything he can to mentally and physically prepare for week one. We don't yet know if he is going to suit up and take the field, but based on, you know, the reports out there, based on kind of the fact that he has practiced in a limited capacity so far this week up through Thursday, I take that as a good sign. Usually when a player, especially early in the season, when they are kind of getting those practice reps and limited and given the fact that they have kind of brought him along ever since he sustained that injury and early initial reports for that injury were that it could have been worse. It wasn't as serious as, you know, it potentially could have been. I think those are all big signs um, leading up to this game that Drake London, the Falcons first round pick in the 2022 draft will indeed suit up and and take his first professional snaps in a regular season game. Um, Arthur Smith did say that they probably will internally make a decision on Saturday. So I would be surprised if, you know, Friday morning slash afternoon when they kind of make those injury designations um, after the final practice, I'd be surprised if, uh, if there was any determination one way or the other on him, it'll probably be a bit of a game time decision. So what about the other rookies? One of the comments from Arthur Smith's press conference on Thursday stuck out to me a little bit um, and specifically talking about, you know, how to prepare for these rookies, how to get them ready for the regular season, especially week one. And he brought up the fact that on a game day roster, you know, you have your inactives and part of what goes into that decision making is understanding what a player can and can't do. And what that would mean if they were then suddenly forced into a situation where they may have to take on more responsibilities. Of course, matchups play a big role in all of this as well. But I think early on in a season, that kind of responsibilities packages, just how much would you restrict us maybe if you were have to step into a bigger role may mean a little bit more for a rookie. So a guy like Troy Anderson, who was kind of dinged up there towards the end of training camp. The Falcons do have a number of linebackers that they kind of can turn to. There is a little bit more experience there. Um, Deion Jones being on IR and probably never really much of this team's plans. I still have no idea what the heck is going on with that. Um, If anybody else knows for sure, please let me know. But nobody does. Um, You know, maybe is Troy Anderson one of these guys that we may be surprised to see not active. D'Angelo Malone maybe as well, just because he was viewed as a situational guy and the Falcons do have some, I think four outside linebackers that they like um, and and could kind of use in there over him. I'm not saying that either guy is going to be inactive. I'm not even saying, you know, that any rookie the Falcons have is going to be inactive. It's just one comment that Arthur Smith made because he kind of brought it up a little bit out of nowhere that stuck out to me. So I'm speculating fully here, but would I be shocked to see either guy? No. And that also doesn't mean that week two, both of them aren't active. Um, So that's just a little bit of uh, insight, I think, into how coaches and teams prepare for season games. Uh, Another one, Drew Dahlman, winning the starting job. Touch on it briefly because it's not like there's a ton of there there. Really, really close battle. It seemed like all throughout camp. I got to watch it. It was tough for me to determine who had a lead. I kind of thought if I was going to, you know, stake my life on it, that Matt Hennessy would have been the guy. But it was extremely close, and so I totally understand Drew Dahlman getting the call. Arthur Smith said the coaching staff went and looked at the entirety of camp. They thought Drew was just slightly better, and so he made the call. He gets paid to make the calls. He made the call. 
He also crucially added, it's not like it's a lifetime job there. So they're going to continue to evaluate just like they do with every position across the roster. Given how close this one is, though, I am curious if, you know, Dahlman does kind of struggle a little bit how short the leash is. Finally, the team decided to practice at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You can read into that. I don't really think outside of maybe the pregame warmup because there are a lot of new players on this team. It is not kind of the veteran group that we've been accustomed to talking about ever since 2015, 2016, when it was, all right, they're bringing guys back. They're bringing more guys back. They're signing more guys. Like this is a lot of turnover given that they also only had one preseason game. You can understand if they wanted a little bit more of a dress rehearsal. I remember being on uh, on Georgia's staff in 2011 as a graduate assistant the week before the opener against Boise State. It was a surprise. Everybody get on the bus. We're going down to the Georgia Dome and we are conducting a practice on the field. Why? They wanted the players to get into a rhythm of doing that. Little otter for an NFL team to be doing it with its own stadium. However, given that there are a lot of new faces, it makes a little bit of sense to have them get used to that locker room, get used to maybe a game cadence and, you know, all right, we're getting out on the field for warmups. Here's where you're going to be. Just kind of get the lay of the land so that it's not new for you when you're facing a team that a lot of their players have been in Mercedes-Benz Stadium many times. Uh, so that was uh, kind of interesting to me, but I thought notable. And, and finally, before I get to my top five moments for the Falcons against the Saints, I've had a little bit of a difficulty pinpointing this game, and I think you'll hear that come through a little bit with Terrence uh, in a bit. Sometimes that's the case because each team is new, but it's almost, I feel like, harder this time around because the Saints are kind of familiar, but kind of not. They've had some big transitions at some key spots, but they also have some very familiar players, so I kind of feel like I have a sense for what they will be, but also there's some element of mystery in some potentially major impactful spots for this game. The Falcons, on the other hand, kind of new in a ton of ways, way more than they are the same. And so because I feel like the Falcons have such a big range of outcomes for this team in 2022, this game really, I think, could go either way. And I'm worried personally that I'm going to overreact to it in a little bit of a bigger sense. But my main takeaway is going to be all right, against a, what I think should be a good NFL team, but at the very least, a starting NFL team, this will give us our greatest chance yet to see what this team will be in 2022 because I've yet to really get a great grasp on just how good or how bad they will be. All right, top five moments. I'm going to run through these real quick and then we're going to get to my interview with Terrence Copper breaking down this game. So, Top five Falcons moments against the New Orleans Saints. Number five, September 16th, 1973. This is the most lopsided loss in Saints history. It still is. It came 62 to seven season opener. Dick Shiner. QB, Dick Shiner. Falcons QB, Dick Shiner. Had a day in this one. 13 to 15, 227 with three touchdown passes. Kind of hoping that's a stat line that uh, Marcus Mariota can replicate on Sunday, but not much more explanation needed here. It's the Saints' worst loss in their franchise's history, and the Falcons gave it to them, so it goes in number five. Number four, December 7th, 
2017, a 20 to 17 win in week 14, Thursday night game, Falcons in their color rush reds. Not a huge fan of that, honestly. Deion Jones, interception in the end zone. I was there in person covering this game. I've never heard, I think, Mercedes-Benz Stadium louder than it was in that moment. Such a cool uh, play to see live. Uh, secured the win. It was the second time Deion Jones had uh, you know, a big pick against Drew Brees. And crucially, Sean Payton made his choke uh, sign in this game, and then the Falcons got the last laugh. Number three, November 12th, 1978, 20-17 win again in week 11, known as Big Ben Wright. I encourage you guys to go check out a uh, the highlight of this play. It's incredible. But Falcons were trailing 17 to 6 with under 230 left, drove 80 yards in two each of their two drives. Steve Barkowski completed the game-winning 57-yard touchdown pass to Alfred Jackson, but crucially and so memorably, this ball was tipped by fellow Falcons receiver Wallace Francis, and that is kind of what makes this such a cool play. Again, go check out that highlight. Later on in 1978 against the Saints, November 26th, a couple weeks later, 2017 again, another game-winning touchdown pass from Steve Barkowski to give the Falcons their win, and the Falcons went on to make the playoffs for the first time that year. They lose either game. That doesn't happen. November 29th, 2012. This is number two on my list. Another Thursday night football game. Snapping Drew Brees' 54-game streak with a touchdown pass, which was an NFL record at the time. The Falcons got five picks. They avenged their only loss to that point in the season. They won this game and they clinched the division that Sunday with a Tampa Bay loss. So this one, you know, maybe a little bit lower and some people's are not even on their list. It was just huge to me at that point in my life. The Saints had owned the Falcons. The Falcons looked so good in their throwback, black uniforms, red helmets in this one. And it was just a huge, huge win for a team um, at that point to kind of get that monkey off their back against the Saints uh, that season. Final one, 1991 playoff game. The only playoff meeting before between these two teams in New Orleans, tied 20 to 20 with less than three minutes left. And Michael Haynes, a New Orleans native, 61-yard touchdown to win the game. Then the Falcons picked off the Saints' comeback attempt. Many, many laterals. They were clearly trying to score. Deion Sanders was involved. His pass was ruled forward, so it didn't ultimately count, even though they did make it into the end zone. Um, but they just rubbed it in their faces in the best possible way. And I spoke to Michael Haynes about this play for a piece that I did in oral history on AtlantaFalcons.com a few years ago. He said he had cracked two ribs earlier in the game. and. He ran past the entire Saints defense anyway. And so that's how the Saints lost a playoff game to a Falcons player with two cracked ribs. So there you go. Those are my top five Falcons moments against the New Orleans Saints. Let's get into my conversation with Terrence Copper. Very excited to be joined now by Terrence Copper, who spent nine seasons in the NFL. So he's got plenty of experience to talk about today's topic of conversation. And the reason, Terrence, you are here is because, you know, two and a half of those seasons came in in New Orleans. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's hate week. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, <laughs> I want to I want to start right there because your career is is interesting. You know, you didn't spend the entirety of it in New Orleans. You know, you played also uh, Kansas City, 
spent mm-hmm. a little bit of time there in Baltimore, um, got your start in Dallas, and, and all of those have some notable rivals. So mm-hmm. drawing on your experience, what makes the Falcons-Saints rivalry different? You know what? It's just, I really don't know, but it is definitely different. It's a rivalry that, you know, they both play in domes. Uh, they play each other twice a year. You know, it's just, I just don't know. It's, it could be just the the distance between New Orleans and Atlanta. Uh, but they definitely hate each other. <laughs> uh, we do not like playing. Our, don't like, look, our fans don't like Atlanta. And I don't think Atlanta like us either. You know, so it's it's definitely a big time rivalry. I feel like the NFL is is kind of poking fun at the Falcon Saints rivalry a little bit on on Twitter, and now both the fan bases are like I think I saw an office meme where it was like Michael Scott and Toby sitting there like talking to each other, and they both hate each other, and they're glaring, and it's like then the Saints account tweets out the Falcons fans are totally Toby, which is like that's a dumb that's a dumb insult. All right, come on, you guys can do better uh, better than that, but a lot of it and. I dug into the history a lot while I worked with the team, but it's because they were in the NFC West together. So it's mm-hmm. the Rams and the 49ers. And this was the heyday of kind of the Rams and the 49ers just mm-hmm. kicking ass out West. And you have the Falcons and the Saints who were the lowly teams down here, just kind of right next to each other, next door neighbors languishing together. And I mm-hmm. think that was, was one of those where it was kind of like, all right, none of us are playing on national television. None of us have these big primetime games we all get our butts kicked by the other two teams in our division. So you know what? I'm just going to hate your guts and right. we, can, we can win one game a year against you. And it's going to be that, that game that matters. That's a good one. That's, I mean, I, I guess that, that guess that's the truth. That could be it. That could be it. <laughs> um, but you, all right. So you also, cause I, I want to get your thoughts on this because you did spend one game when you were there in Baltimore for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. What was that like? And how, how are these two different? Because that one, I think, often gets credit as like one of the all time great NFL rivalries. So like the lead up into that game, how is that different from the lead up into, you know, many of the Saints Falcons games that you played in? Well, and, and not to kind of water down the Saints Falcons rivalry, because it's a tough rivalry. But truthfully, I think the the rivalry, the longest rivalry is probably the Cowboys and the Redskins. Mm hmm. But the toughest rivalry is the Steelers and the Ravens. Like, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't compare to any other rivalry. It doesn't compare because how physical it is. Every game, somebody's going to get knocked out in that game. Uh, it, the fans are fighting in the stands. Uh, so so that rivalry is a real rivalry as well. And that's not taking anything from the Saints and the Falcons. But the, uh, but the Ravens and the Steelers, that rivalry is probably the toughest rivalry. Uh, in the NFL. I, I think when I was looking back and, you know, making sure that I had everything correct, the score for that game was like nine to 13. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is one of those rivalries. It's like yeah. Alabama LSU when it's like nine mm-hmm. six. And yeah, I mean, the Falcons have played some of those games against the Saints as well. Uh, usually there's a little bit more offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has largely been because Sean Payton and Drew Brees were there uh, in New Orleans. Matt Ryan was here for for a lot of his, you know, for the run here in Atlanta. But let's now kind of dive into the differences here this year because Dennis Allen is now the head coach in in New Orleans. And I do think that the identity for the Saints has not totally flipped, but it may have shifted 
a little bit more to the defensive side of the ball. So I, I saw the overlapped with with Coach Allen uh, for your couple of years there in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But I also know position coaches and he was an assistant defensive line at the time, I believe. It's not like you guys as, as a wide receiver. It's not like you're interacting with him a whole, whole lot. But what do you remember about uh, Dennis Allen from your time with the team? You know, he knew his stuff. Uh, he, he knew his stuff. You knew that one day he was going to be a head coach uh, just because of the way he went about his business. You know, he was he was a very focused guy. He wasn't a real loud guy, always talking or uh, anything like that. But you could tell he had a certain focus about him. And one of these days, he was going to be a head coach. And but like you hit right on the head, uh, they kind of flipped. Now there's more of a defensive team than they are offensively so far. And back when I played, man, we went in two games knowing that we had to outscore opponents because defensively, we didn't have it. You know, we didn't have it when I was in New Orleans. So we went into the game thinking we got outscoring, uh, no doubt about it. And But this year and even last year, it's not so much about the offense having to go in there and outscore teams. You know, because the defense was, is holding teams like Chuck's 20 points, 21, mm-hmm. one defense uh, run team in the league. You know, so defensively, man, they have really turned it around and they added on uh, bringing new guys in. And they got a ton of depth on that defensive end. And offensively, they brought some they bring a lot of players in as well. So they should be very complimentary to each other this year. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it because the Saints seem like a team to me perfectly content to win like a 24 to 20 game and build mm-hmm. to win a 24 to 20 game. You know, you've got legitimate stars on every level of the defense there in New Orleans. I think their secondary is potentially one of the best in the league uh, this mm-hmm. year, although the Falcons secondary, I think, is really going to surprise some people as well. Um, but let's... Uh, Let's let's kind of talk about, you know, what are the scary aspects about this Falcons team to New Orleans? If you're looking at it from a Saints perspective and again, they're, you know, expected to, I think, win this game. Mm-hmm. What scares you about the Falcons? Uh, if you're a Saints fan, if you're a Saints player, is there kind of like a path to victory where if the Falcons can do like X, Y and Z? All right, that'll keep you up at night a little bit. You know, just the fact that the Falcons is another NFL team is scary enough because it's hard to win. And I, not even picking at the Falcons, but it's hard to win NFL games. Right. Uh, they're hard to win regardless. And then if you have a quarterback that's a mobile quarterback that can put it, that pull it down and run it, that draws a lot of attention to when it comes to a defensive coordinator of how to stop this team. Because uh, even when the pass, even when passes break down, if you have a mobile quarterback, you know, mm-hmm. he can get out of there and make and extend plays, not extend plays to run them, per se, but extend plays to, to get receivers open a little bit longer to give them more time to get open. Or he could pull it down and run it. So that is where I feel like New Orleans really have to be concerned with a running quarterback. That's true, because it it changes the rush plan, right? For a Saints team, you know, Cam Jordan, like... I think he would say that he made his living kind of off of sacking Matt Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a different challenge. This is a different animal. If you're going to take, you know, with Matt Ryan, who likes to step up into the pocket, you're maybe going to use your leverage or make your target a little bit different than somebody who likes to escape the pocket like Marcus right. Mariota. And now you've got to contain them and keep them in there a little bit. Whereas with Matt Ryan, you kind of wanted to collapse the interior of that pocket in his mm-hmm. face. Also, do you think are Saints fans as happy 
to see Matt Ryan no longer in Atlanta as, as Falcons fans were, to see Drew Brees, you know, finally, mercifully, after <laughs> forever, <laughs> hang it up. I think they're just as happy. They're just because regardless of how people feel about Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. And he was a good quarterback for the Falcons for a long time, you know, and, and have to face him every year, twice a year, you know, regardless if we won or they won, you know, you don't want to see him anymore, regardless, get him out of the division, you know, so uh, they're just as happy as the, as the Falcons was to see Drew Brees go. Uh, we're just as happy to see Matt Ryan go as well. All right, good. At least it's at least it's uh, even on on that front, but the J- Jameis Winston now leading the offense. We saw what that looked like last year, but of course, injuries, things like that. I, at some point, I you know I was looking back at the Falcon Saints. It's like Trevor Simeon played uh, in in those games. I totally had blocked that from from my memory. But what do we expect to see from this Saints offense? You know, obviously the coaching change could play a factor in that. Although I anticipate that they are going to keep things, you know, relatively the same. They're not going to try to reinvent the wheel here, but Michael Thomas still kind of coming back. We don't know what to expect from him in 2022. Alvin Kamara seems like the go-to guy again on this offense. What should what should a Falcons defense that, you know, frankly, a lot of people don't know much about or, or have much expectation for, what should they expect from the Saints offensively in this game? Uh, well, they definitely need to expect the ball to get thrown around a little bit. Uh, offensively, I don't think that it's going to be a big drop off from last year, well, from the years when Coach Payton was calling plays because you got Pete Carmichael, that was his understudy, mm-hmm. that built the entire time, you know, in New Orleans. So he he's learned under Coach Payton. He knows a ton of he knows his stuff. Even the year that um, that Coach Payton was suspended, yeah, Pete, he came in and shucks, they he killed it as offense coordinator. <laughs> he killed it, you know, so. I'm excited to see what he's going to do this year, but I think their offense is actually going to be better than they were last year and in the years in the prior, probably because you have better receivers, even though Michael Thomas is just coming back, but he's not one of those guys that is a, is a burner where he's going to stretch the field for you. Mm-hmm. He's a tight receiver. He's a big body receiver. So the things that he used to do, he could easily come right back in and get right back in those shoes and do the exact same thing. And then you have your other, your rookie receivers you just drafted. He's a burner. He can run every route. And then you bring in Landry, you know, the veteran. He's the guy that can do a lot of stuff as well in the slot. You know, so they're going to be very dangerous. You got Kamara. You know, he's he does what he does. They're going to be very dangerous. Uh, I don't see how, and, and I, I'm a Saints guy, so, but I really don't see how the Falcons can really match up with their firepower. I don't see it, even though I'm not taking it from the Falcons, but I just don't see it because they're they're so talented all around. And then you have uh, Winston at the quarterback position at a quarterback position. You know, one thing that he's that he used to get into a lot of trouble of making bad decisions mm-hmm. it was even when he was in Tampa, he still was very talented. He still threw 30 touchdowns. But like I say, he also threw 30 some picks as well. By him having a chance to learn up on a Drew Brees, learn up on a Sean Payton, he's understanding how, you know, throw the ball away. Don't force it. Uh, and, and not even that part of his decision making is we're not putting him in situations where he has to throw the ball 50 times a game. Because the more you throw the ball, the more likely that you're going to have something go wrong. So the fact that we have a run game 
and you can use your screen plays tomorrow that's just as good as a run play. Uh, so we just keeping him out of positions to out of situations where he had to throw it a ton to make those mistakes. But last year, before he got injured, he threw 14 touchdowns, only three picks. He was on, mm-hmm. two, on Pro Bowl season until he got injured. So, and and what it looks like now is still, I think he's going to come back and he's going to do the exact same thing because he have even more weapons around him now than he did then. And they're not injured up like they was last year. Really kind of on paper, it looks like a bit of a, not necessarily the same level of strength, but it is kind of a strength on strength. Whereas, you know, the receivers for New Orleans, good. I really like Chris Olave a lot and I want to get to him in, in one second. But the secondary for Atlanta's defense, like I said, is their clear strength. You know, AJ Terrell, they added Casey Hayward, um, Richie Grant, Jalen Hawkins, kind of young guys in the in the secondary. We'll see what's there. But that is where Alvin Kamara scares the heck out of me in this game because it's it's almost like if they can neutralize there, you still can just get Alvin Kamara in the space vacated by all of these guys, you know, except I, I do worry that Jarvis Landry and, and Michael Thomas are just going to run into each other while they're both running their two yard slants on every <laughs> single route. Um, but so, so you have to figure that part out. Uh, but Chris Olave, just as a, as a former receiver, I'm really curious what you see in his game, because coming out of the draft, I, I kind of feel like he's sneaky underrated. A lot of people talked about Garrett Wilson coming out of Ohio state as well, but mm-hmm. Chris Olave, like, fluid, smooth. I kind of feel like he can early on in his career burst onto the scene in the same way that Calvin Ridley did for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And notably kind of against the Saints, he had that two touchdown game as a rookie. And people were like, okay, he just put these moves on Marshawn Lattimore like this kid can play. If Chris Olave has a similar moment against AJ Terrell or Casey Hayward on Sunday, I don't think I would be entirely shocked. I'm going to tell you how good I think he can be. If he goes out there and stays healthy, he really could be probably offense rookie of the year. Okay. He could. That's how good he is. He he's fast and he can run every route. He can mm-hmm. run every route that you give him. And he's not the only receiver. That's the thing. The best thing about having a other great receivers around you is you don't have to get doubled all the time. Yeah. So I look back when it go to uh when he was in Pittsburgh. Remember uh Antonio Brown's in Pittsburgh and he had Juju Smith. Well, shucks, the reason why Juju Smith got off so much because Antonio Brown was getting doubled the entire time. So Juju Smith had a chance to get single coverage against the second best corner on the team, and he get a chance to go and go to work. So it's gonna be the same thing with Olave. They can't they can't double him because they have so many weapons. So he'll he'll have an opportunity to really show what he can do without having coverage over the top all the time. Yeah. And and again, that's why kind of I did brought, bring up that comparison to Calvin Ridley, because I think he was in a very similar situation where you had Julio in mm-hmm. place and and he did benefit from. But that's what's so weird about that Saints game. That first one is you noticed in the second half, they started doubling Calvin and they were like, all right, well, we're going to we'll put Marshawn on on Julio and then we're going to take our other two guys, kind of that Patriots yeah. thing where it's like, we'll take our number two corner and put him on your number one and then we're going to take our like kind of two guys and just double team and take away your one um Mm -hmm. but flipping uh flipping uh to the other side of the ball as a receiver so i'm going to ask you a little bit of a hypothetical here which i know is is every nfl player's least type of question is a hypothetical but you are lined up for a play who would you least like to have lined up across from you marshawn Lattimore or aj terrell uh, Lattimore. Why? Lattimore. He's physical. He's, he's physical and he's a great cover corner. Um, 
He talks a lot of junk, which, you know, that's part of it. But I, I like the way he plays. I love the way he played last year. Uh, like I said, he's just a very good corner. And that's, that's one of the guys that I would hate to line up against uh, because he's so physical and he's very instinctive. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's who I would choose, Lattimore. And I'm not just saying it because I'm a Saints guy. I was like, I, just, I can't, I, like I can't say I expected a different answer there. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think that it, it, at least it's now a debate, you know, and, and I think that AJ Terrell, he's got to kind of follow it up. That's what Marshawn has on him at this point is he has multiple seasons of showing that he can do it at this highest level. Uh, but I will say I've been very impressed with what I've, I've seen from AJ Terrell so far in training camp. So it looks like this could be, uh, be a great kind of competition. Um, in this one. And as we kind of, you know, start to wrap it up here a, a little bit, what in your mind is, is the Saints path to victory on Sunday? We talked about how they're maybe built a little bit more to win that lower scoring game. However, they can get explosive on offense. I really think that they, they've got that capability. So what, what kind of game would you like to see from the Saints and, and what is the path to victory in your mind for them? I think for them is a lot how they played last year stop the run. If they stop the run and make the Falcons one-dimensional and have Mariota throwing the ball 40 times a game, I think that's success for the Saints. I think the Saints win that game. But if they can't stop the run and they give, in, and they give the Falcons offensive coordinator, uh, they don't make them uncomfortable and he's just, the playbook is open. He's running it when he wants to run it. He can throw it when he wants to throw it. I think that's how the Falcons beat, beat us. They keep us. They keep us unbalanced. But if we can limit the Falcons to just throwing the ball because they can't run it, that's when we win. That's when we win. Make them one-dimensional and then kind of that's it. Put, put your foot down on their throat. Um, mm-hmm. do, you have, do you have any X factors uh, in this game? Like one, one for maybe each team um, and, and who could, who's a, somebody that we're not necessarily talking about? Like I think Chris Olave could fall into this um, kind of category. But I'm also, you know, maybe thinking about uh, off the top of my head, can't can't remember his name, but Trevor Penning's replacement. You know, last time the Falcons uh, went up against a, a team missing their starting tackle and, and kind of substituting in a young guy, Adrian Claiborne, at six sacks. That was against mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's always a concern, especially in week one. But are there any players we haven't mentioned yet that you think could really maybe swing this game? Yes, Hardy. He's a return guy. Okay. He he is dynamic in the turn in the return game. He's a shorter guy. He's a smaller in stature, but he makes a ton of plays, especially when it comes to the return game. I think he will be an X factor. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't set up Saints to score uh, at least two times in this game uh, just off his returns. So I think he's going to play a big factor. Special teams is going to be a big factor in this game. I think I I think I agree with you there. I'm not too familiar with. Uh with Hardy. So I'm excited to, uh, to watch him out there and, and see how he does. But yeah, special teams usually can be a big factor in this one. I, I mean, most notably, I, I think back to a lot of the Matt Bryant, like game winning field goals back in the day. But of course the blocked punt in, uh, in 2007 was huge. Were you there for that game? I was. Michael Cannon. 2006. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Give me that story. Ah, shucks. Well, that was the first game back in the dome. First game back in the dome, you got Mike Vick at the quarterback. So it was star-studded, guys. Everybody and their mama was in New Orleans uh, to watch that game. You had so many stars to watch that game. 
I think Green, Green Day and U2, didn't they play like the Saints yeah. come marching at the beginning of that? That's that's yeah. a hype video. I, I got to give it give it to New Orleans <laughs> for that. That was really cool. <laughs> but Steve Gleason ended up blocking the punt early in the game. And once he blocked that punt, we knew it was on from there. Uh, we blocked it and we scooped and scored. But after the game, we won that game. You know, it was so emotional because I tell this story all the time. You had grown men boohoo crying after that game. It gives me chills talking about it now. I always get chills talking about it. The atmosphere of that game was unbelievable because you've got to think about it. You had, you had people in that building that family members lost their lives, you know, because of Katrina. Um, they lost their lives in, in the Superdome. You know, uh, so it was just so emotional, not just for the players, but for the fans. That game was so much bigger than football that it didn't make any sense. You know, so that was probably the most electrifying game I ever played in, the most emotional game ever played in. Uh, it was it was definitely a, a great experience. I'm glad I had the opportunity to be a part of it. Uh, so but yeah, th- that is probably my best experience there. Yeah, I mean, I, I just can't even imagine what what that would have been like. Like how how crazy loud it must have been for a stadium, you know, already regarded as as one of the loudest. Uh, yep. Like it's it's tough to even imagine kind of a more maybe poetic moment uh, after everything that the city had been through. Um, I'm gonna stop stop talking about it now because I, I am obligated to keep this Falcon centric, I guess, to some degree. And I'm sure people are like, "What? Why did we go down this avenue? What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's get back to uh, the last little thing about this game. Uh, what is your final prediction for Sunday? I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, and the reason why I think it's going to be a good game, because we're still trying to figure out what we're good at. And that's both ways, both teams. Because mm-hmm. you play preseason games, but all your starters don't play in preseason. Uh, you don't game plan each other in, pre- in preseason. So you really don't know what you can hang your hat on and be like, you know, this is who we are. We are a running team or we're a passing team. We're a play action team. You really don't know who you are yet, who you are yet until you start playing these meaningful games. And then you start to figure out your identity. So uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to go 21-24. You kind of said that earlier. 24-21, but I'm going Saints. How about yourself? I, I respect that call. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's. It's the old Bill Belichick adage again, right? Like the first month of the season is almost an extension of training camp. It's when it's when like the core of your team is finding its identity. They're working themselves into shape, getting familiar. So I I think that the Saints are better equipped to survive kind of that searching factor, you know, because mm-hmm. of Alvin Kamara, because, you know, Jameis is going into into kind of his third year here and and kind of second really meaningful um and they've got the receivers to to make these plays. So, like, I think the Saints are better equipped. And, of course, they can always rely on the defense. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see what the Falcons do in trying to negate that. Do they mm-hmm. try to be a little bit more kind of ball dominant and lean on that run game? I do think that Arthur Smith is really going to want to get that back on track this year and marry that run game with some deeper play action shots. And is that how they get some of these explosive plays and maybe lure up that defense and then hit them over the top with it? Or are they kind of just going to try to, hey, you don't know anything that we have planned for you. So we're emptying the bag week one. We want to get a division win right out of the gate when you don't know what's coming. And it's mm-hmm. every seventh play is a trick play. Like I could kind of see both realities 
being mm-hmm. the case. That being said, I mean, I really feel like it's going to be a close game. Like you said, I think I will go like 23-20 Saints as well. I think that the Saints ultimately have more ways to win this game. But as I expect this to be a theme throughout the Falcon season, I think they're going to surprise some people against some good teams specifically in making them sweat a little bit late in the fourth quarter. I just don't know if they're able to get over that hump uh, much this season because they're playing some really, really good teams. And that kind of starts in week one against the Saints. So it should be a great matchup. But yeah, I think I think the Saints will get the road win here. Yeah, definitely. And, And the only way I see the Saints not winning this game is if the Falcons come out and they're able to run the ball. If they can run the ball and can control the clock and keep the ball out of Winston's hands, uh, this can be tough sledding. But if they can't run the ball, like I said, I, I think the Saints pulled us away. All right, Terrence. Well, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. But this has been awesome. Uh, it was great to to meet you to have this this conversation with you. Please let everybody know uh, what you got going on. Uh, so you can always listen to me in, on Believe in Saints. Uh, on all your platforms. Uh, also, if you are an ECU Pirate fan, I do the pregame show, postgame show for ECU football football team. I own a sports academy in Winterville, North Carolina. If you're looking to get your kids signed up for football training, speed and agility, basketball training, we have after-school programs, summer programs, seven-on-seven programs. Uh, it's called the Premier Sports Academy, located in Winterville, North Carolina. All right. Well, Terrence Copper, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to join us today and talk a little Falcon Saints hate week. Thanks for having me on, Will. All right, that will do it for today's show. Please stay tuned after the game. Ovi and I will be back and uh, recapping what I hope, what I really hope is a great showing from the Atlanta Falcons at home against their bitter and hated rival. Um, it should be a good game. I'm excited to see what this Falcons team looks like, both offensively and defensively. I can't really decide which one I I am more excited for. Really, really excited to see what Kyle Pitts is this season, what A.J. Terrell is this season, who can kind of ascend like A.J. did last year, if anybody, and kind of take that next leap. I think the Falcons are going to need, you know, at least one or two of those guys, maybe not to make quite that jump, but they're going to have to start showing something. Is it Jalen Hawkins? Is it Richie Grant? Joining AJ on the back end, is it going to be Tyler Algier, rookie running back? Is he going to get an opportunity to kind of show what he can do? Somebody like that is going to have to start uh, really making a name for themselves over the course of this season for us to really feel strongly that, hey, maybe they can make some in 2022, but definitely that they're heading in the right direction for 2023 and beyond. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though, because it all starts on Sunday. The 2022 season is officially here. Today's podcast is presented by Bet Online. Thank you guys so much for listening, for following along throughout the offseason. We're finally over. Please check back by for our breakdown of the game with Ovi afterwards. And as always, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.